Well, it's always a pleasure to visit Indiana Wesleyan University. And I get the pleasure of worshiping with you a couple times a year when I'm here for our board meetings. And every time I step on campus, I feel the presence of God, and today is no different. So thank you for inviting me. It truly is an honor to come and speak to you today. Are you okay? Well, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm married to Kyle, who is the lead pastor at Kentwood Community Church in Michigan, and have a picture. Yeah, we have some KCCers here. Let's see, this is a picture of our family, or a collage of our family. Um, we have a son, Malik, who is in the hat there. He's 19. We have a son, Matthew, who is 17 and a junior in uh, high school. And then for kicks, we added a five-year-old little girl to our family earlier this year that we're legal guardians of. So that's been quite fun. Uh, we call her recently our little germ incubator because she's gotten everyone in the house sick. So <laughs> you have to excuse me if I have to take a moment to cough uh, a little present from her to me. So the scripture that I want to talk with you about today comes from 1 Corinthians 9.24. And in this uh, passage, Paul encourages the Corinthians in Corinth with these words. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. The big idea that I want to talk with you about today is how we run the race impacts the choices we make. So I want to talk to you about how I've run the race in corporate America. But in, in order for you to understand how I've run the race, it'll be good for you to know the type of job that I have. So I, with my current company, I work for General Electric. Um, most of you may have heard of it, but if you haven't, it's a multinational company that has several different businesses, ranging from power to water to aviation to oil and gas. And my role is as a global mobility manager supporting the aviation business when they want to send employees from their home country to another country temporarily to work. And so temporarily means anywhere from six months to five years or more. So um, I support the aviation business. And I work with business managers and HR managers when they want to send these employees to another country to work. And I get involved in things like taxes and immigration and legal matters and relocation. And I work with people literally all over the world. So that gives you an idea um, as to what I do. But let me give you an idea as to the types of choices that I'm faced on a daily basis. I had an employee who went to put on assignment for a three-year assignment to Saudi Arabia. And he took his family with him. And he happened to have a teenage son. This teenage son got into a bit of trouble in Saudi Arabia. He was caught possessing drugs. Now, we've spent thousands of dollars to have this employee go to Saudi Arabia to accomplish this project for us. And when his son was caught possessing drugs, there are four penalties in Saudi Arabia for possessing drugs. There's lengthy imprisonments, there are fines, there's public flogging, and death. None of those sound appealing. <laughs> Yet, fortunately, the Saudi Arabian government that, um, allowed us to have an opportunity to send the child back home to the U.S. So now the family is faced with a, with a decision. Does everyone pack up 
and go back home, ending the assignment early that we have invested a lot of money in and he's already done a year of? Or does he send the teenage son back home and put him in boarding school? So the employee comes to me and he says, well, will GE pay to put my son in boarding school back at home in the U.S.? Now, when I get problems like this, there's policy that I can follow, and then I have professional leeway. And so he's asking me to do something that, from a policy perspective, is outside of policy. We don't pay for children's education in someone's home country. We pay for it when we send them on assignment so that they'll have an easier transition time when they come back from assignment. But if, you're, if he's sending him home, we wouldn't do that. And so I made the decision to go ahead and pay for the boarding school back at home in the U.S. Now, I made that decision for a number of valid business reasons, but I want you to know, <coughs> what I want you to know is that my understanding of how God's grace, um, of God's grace towards me impacts how I make choices and extend grace in my business role. And by the way, I have a son I know what it's like to be a parent of a son that makes, his, that, that makes uh, poor decisions, especially when it comes to obeying the law. But I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Let me tell you another story. There's a woman that we sent on assignment in Italy for two years. And when it was time for her to repatriate back home, she wanted to bring almost 150 bottles of wine with her. She had her Italian wine collection going on. Now, we give employees a generous shipping allowance, but she far exceeded that, sh that shipping allowance with wanting to bring this wine back home. And, she, of course, she wanted the company to pick up the cost. Now, of course, we have a policy that talks about shipping and what will um, ship back. And I made the decision in this case to tell her no. I, you know, maybe I would have given her a little, we a little leeway if I said, well, maybe if Jesus turned that we'll turn water into wine, you know, we would ship it back, but that wasn't the case. So she was on her own to ship her wine back to back home. Besides, who purchases 150 bottles of wine and expects their company to ship it back? So when you go out into the workforce, don't ask for crazy ex exceptions like that. <coughs> I had another employee in China, and he took his family with him, a wife and a child. And unfortunately, while he was there, he had an affair. The wife find, found out about it and left with the child and filed for a divorce, going through a very nasty divorce, unfortunately. Well, this sent the employee into a downward spiral. His manager at work noticed that um, he wasn't producing um, what he had been producing in the past. He was barely showing up for work and really not doing the job that we had sent him there to do. And so I found out about this situation because the employee's manager called me because he was very concerned about this employee and really thought he was suicidal. So he was call, calling me looking for advice. What do we do with this suicidal employee that is on assignment now by himself in a foreign country? So I'll tell you, you know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm an HR professional working for a multinational company, but I'm a, cross, a Christ follower. And when that manager called me to tell me about this employee, the very first thing that I thought of was just brokenness. 
There are layers of brokenness all in his story, with him, with his wife, with the woman he cheated with, with his child. And I know that not all of you will go into full-time vocational ministry, but what I want you to understand is that as a Christian, as a Christian business professional, you will encounter brokenness. And you'll have to make tough choices and think about how your faith impacts those choices. So what's the best choice for a suicidal employee? Well, there's the policy. We could, I could terminate the employee because he's not fulfilling the job responsibilities that we sent him halfway across the world to do. Or I could hurry up and get him back to work despite his mental health. But I had some leeway to do some other things. So this em employee obviously needed some help. I discovered that he wasn't in any type of counseling and really did not have a lot of community around him. So I uh, was able to arrange for him to see a counselor there in China, a Western counselor that spoke English, put him on disability so that he could um, start to get his life together. And then when he, um, and gave him, some, gave him some paid time off of work. And when he returned to work, I let him return part-time until he felt that he could contribute more fully or until he repatriated. And I also had a support team around him of professionals and co-workers to help him navigate through that process. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, let me give you one more example. It's sort of a bonus story. I had an employee from, uh, from Germany going on assignment to Chile. And his human resources manager calls me panicking because she just found out that this man that was on assignment in Chile accidentally killed a man in a hunting accident. Now I'll tell you, there is nothing in the HR policy that tells you how to deal with an employee when they kill someone, even if it's by accident. But, I, and, and I could have said, you know, we sent him there to do a job. Hunting wasn't part of that. What he does on his free time is his own. He's on his own to navigate this. But my faith informs the choices that I make. And GE, General Electric, is a big organization with a lot of resources. So I got some ground support in Chile with the local HRM to help him navigate through this process. I contacted the local um, legal firm that we do business with there to help him navigate through the legal proceedings and with the Chilean police. And then I also got him connected with uh, some counselors for himself and his family as they navigate this very tragic event in their life. And it's in those moments that I re remember that, that choices matter and my faith informs my choices. How we run the race impacts the choices that we make. And as I run the race in corporate America, I am aiming to represent Christ in every decision that I make. Not necessarily sticking to policy like some HR Pharisee. If my son committed a crime or my spouse left me or I accidentally killed someone, I would want some grace. And I've learned that there's grace for, that, that there is space for grace in the workplace, even in a secular workplace. I would want someone to walk, along, to walk along aside me and know that I'm not alone. I don't know what the faith background is of a lot of the people that I work with. 
And at the same time, I know that these decisions that I make on a case-by-case basis, I need the discipline to seek the wisdom of the Lord for every choice I make. So the reason why I gave you these four examples from my job and the choices that I have to make is because I know that, you will, that some of you may end up in a job outside of full-time vocational ministry. And you'll have difficult decisions to make on a daily, debas- on a daily basis. And you will need the wisdom of the Lord to help you make those choices. I want you to know that your worldview matters. How you run the race of faith matters. But it just doesn't matter in the business world. It matters in our relationships. When I was a teenager, I made a declaration that I would never marry a pastor. And obviously today, I'm married to one. So I'll tell you that story. But actually, I didn't marry a pastor. I married an engineer. It wasn't, and and I had visions of my husband and I being in corporate America with these successful careers. But four years into our marriage, my husband Kyle felt the call to seminary. Now, no one should say that God does not have a sense of humor. Just tell him your plans and he'll laugh all over it. Now, when he felt that call to ministry, surprisingly, I was fully supportive of him. And I encouraged him to to pursue what God um, was leading him to do. But at the same time, I thought him giving up his engineering job, going to seminary for three years to get his master's of divinity, and becoming a pastor meant that we were taking a vow of poverty. I really didn't think that. I thought that I wouldn't have nice things again. I thought we'd never go on a nice vacation again, but I was wrong. So I had this tension. I was fully supportive of my husband going to seminary and entering into, a full, and entering into full-time vocational ministry, but at the same time, I was grieving what I perceived what I was going to lose. You see, I didn't realize that God had something far better in store for my life. Now, how could I be fully supportive of him? Why would I be fully supportive of him when several years earlier I made this teenage declaration that I would never marry a pastor? Well, my husband went on a walk to Emmaus. Maybe some of you have heard of it. There's a similar one called De Caloris. And it's a three-day spiritual retreat where you hear several different talks on grace and the Holy Spirit and all different aspects of Christianity. Well, he came back from that spiritual retreat on fire, just on fire for God. So much so that he, for months following this retreat, he would get up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning before work and do two or three hours of devotions, just asking God, God, what is it that you created me to do? What is it that you want me to do? You've made me talented in so many things, but what is it that you want me to do? And then the whisper of him to attend seminary came. So that's why I can be fully supportive of my husband going into seminary, even though that wasn't the direction that I wanted uh, for my life. It's because I saw the spiritual journey that he was going over, and I had confidence that he was doing the right thing as a man and as um, the leader of our household. Now, when I started telling friends and families that when I started telling our friends and family and my co-workers that he was leaving his engineering job to go to seminary to become a pastor, most of them were pretty encouraging, but there were a few naysayers. I had some co-workers that said that I should divorce him 
that he pulled a bait and switch, that that wasn't fair to me because he was doing something different than what I thought he was going to do when we first got married. But I was confident in my husband's calling. But even though I was confident in his calling, I didn't know what that meant for me. I didn't have a sense of, of, sense of calling. And it took me about a year to realize that God had me exactly where he wanted me to be. My husband was able to go to seminary, and I worked. We uh, didn't take out any student loans, which is a huge blessing because of the provisions that God provided for us. So why do I tell you this? There are people who will tell you a lot of, lot of reasons why you should throw away your marriage or why you shouldn't value marriage the way that God does. And people want to give you reasons why you should not stick to the commitments that you made in front of the Lord. How you run the race affects the choices you make in those situations. And it's not just about the workplace. It's in relationships as well. In my marriage, I've learned following God's plans requires flexibility and that there is joy in taking the unexpected detours along the way. Now, about nine years into our marriage, this is after he had graduated from seminary and was a pastor, we decided to adopt. So those two boys that you saw in our family picture earlier, Malik and Matthew, we adopted them nine years ago. When we first um, started down the, uh, down the adoption journey, we were going to adopt one ch child, but we ended up with two. So that was a huge blessing. But I want to tell you that it hasn't been easy. In that first year of us becoming a family and prior to the uh, adoption being finalized, we decided to back out of the adoption. It was tough. It wasn't what we expected. Now, before we made that decision, we prayed about it, read the Bible, we talked with mature Christian friends, but we just weren't hearing from the Lord. And so we did what we thought was the right thing. So we called the adoption agency, and we actually told them, well, we want to adopt one of the children, but not both of them because of the difficulties that we were having. Remember that story I told you earlier? about the gentleman in Saudi Arabia that had a difficult son having trouble obeying the law? That was my situation. That is my situation, still is today. <clears throat> but what you should know is that the second summer that they were with us, they'd been with us for a year, but the second summer that they were with us, we had hired um, a 21-year-old college student who was also a Christ follower to be our nanny for the summer while, while Kyle and I worked. And so when we went home, when we made the decision that we only wanted to adopt one of the boys, we went home and told Mandy, and she's given us permission to share this story as much as we want. We told her that we were only going to pursue adopting one of the boys. And she knew in her heart that that was not the right decision. But she's... She thought, I'm 21 years old. This is my, at the time, Kyle was the outreach pastor. This is my outreach pastor and his wife. How can I tell them that this is the wrong decision? And so she drove home that night, and she was wrestling with God about how to tell us that what we were doing was not the right thing to do. 
And she knew she couldn't speak to us about it because she would be too nervous. So instead, she wrote a letter. And the next day, when Kyle and I got home from work, she read the letter to us. And there were two things in that letter that stick out in my mind today. One, she said, the boys came together and they should leave together. So it's not fair for you to adopt one and not the other. And the, and the boys, by the way, are half-brothers, so they've been together for most of their life. The second thing she said is, you guys are not giving yourselves enough credit. I've watched your family over this past year. I've watched the boys grow. I've watched you grow. You're equipped for this. You can handle this. Now, mind you, this is a 21-year-old college student speaking into the life of her outreach pastor and his wife. This is a confirmation that Kyle and I were looking for from the Lord. And he did it through a 20-year-old college student who is a senior. And I'm so thankful that she did. So we called the adoption agency back and we said, okay, not to be fickle, but you know, we want to adopt both boys again. It was only a matter of a couple of days. And so we went forward with the adoption and by no means has it been easy. It continued to be a challenge after adoption. But as I told you earlier, when I was, when I was talking about the guy in Saudi Arabia, who had a, trouble, a son that had trouble obeying the law, I can relate because I'm the mom of a son who has trouble obeying the law. And it's tough to watch someone you love making those tough decisions. But I know that God is not done with my son yet. His story isn't written. I know that one day he is going to make better decisions and will have a fantastic testimony to share with the world. So I choose to run the race with optimism, even though I don't know how this story is going to unfold. So I've told you about choices I've made in my work, in my marriage, and in my family. Let me tell you about a more recent choice that I made. About two and a half years ago, I felt the Lord prompting me to go to seminary. Now remember, this is the same person that said they were never going to marry a pastor. Now I'm thinking about going to seminary. And so I enrolled here at Wesley Seminary, right here at Indiana Wesleyan. And earlier this year, I had the pleasure of walking across this stage with my husband by my side as I got a master's in practical theology. Why did I choose to go? Oh, go ahead and clap for that. Thank you. So I'm a wildcat, just like you guys are. Go wildcats. <laughs> so why did I choose seminary? Especially when several years ago I said I wouldn't even marry a pastor. Why would I be on this road to becoming a pastor? I don't know. I still don't know to this day. Other than I felt God nudging me to do it. I'm still seeking from the Lord what he wants me to do with this degree. Now, seminary was not easy by any means. I didn't know if I would remember how to write a paper, how to study, and it was totally different than my undergraduate degree at the University of Michigan and my graduate degree at Michigan State University and a completely different subject matter. I didn't know how I was gonna balance a full-time full -time work, being a mom, being the wife of a pastor, being active in my church, <coughs> excuse me, 
fact, there was one night early in my seminary journey that I was just going to quit, even though I had sensed the nudge of the Lord calling me to go to seminary. <clears throat> I was in my second class, and I don't know if you have this on the undergraduate campus, but we have these integration papers to write, and they're very lengthy, involved, heady papers. And I was struggling writing it. It was a Saturday night at 8 o'clock, and I was in my basement. And I had been studying all day, and I, I, just, I just hit a roadblock. And I said, that's it. I can't do the seminary thing. I closed my computer. I closed my books. I got my blanket and pillow and plopped in front of the TV with my favorite comfort food, a bag of plain Lay's potato chips and a Snickers candy bar. And I vegged out on my favorite network TV channel, HGTV. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Love that show. <laughs> and I knew that when my, my, my husband came home, because we have a Saturday night service, when my husband came home, he was going to convince me, no, Petty, you can't quit. You're equipped for this. God called you to do this. But I was resolved. Nope, I'm quitting. Well, the next day, I unquit. And I was right back at it, <laughs> writing that integration paper. And I'm so glad that I didn't quit. I think all I needed was a good night's sleep and some food. But one of the results of going to seminary <laughs> is that I have become more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Earlier this year, I had my performance management discussion and salary review with my manager. And she was apologizing to me because she wanted to give me more of a raise than she, than she was able to. She had a certain pot of money to uh, give uh, the people on her team. And in fact, she let on that she wasn't even satisfied with the raise that she got from her manager. So she was apologizing to me. And I, I don't know what happened, but it's just like the Holy Spirit took over. And I told her, you don't need to apologize to me because the raise that you're giving me you don't think is enough. You're not my provider. GE is not my provider. The Lord is my provider. So don't apologize. God has my back. Now, I, I don't know where that came from in the moment. And it was like the words were just coming out. But I'm so glad that I did it because I know that she is not a Christ follower. And I have been talking to her about different things throughout the time that she's been my manager. And so she's sensitive to the prompt to, um, she's, she's sensitive to religious things but hasn't made a decision for Christ yet. So what am I, what am I going to do with this seminary degree? I don't know. But I do know that it's impacted the way that I run the race. When Paul talks about running the race for a prize that will perish versus running a race for eternity, that conversation with my manager is exactly what I'm talking about. Let me read 1 Corinthians 9.24 again in the verses that follow. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aim aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
So, you know, before going to seminary, that conversation with my manager may have struck some bitterness. But instead, I was telling her, it's okay. The Lord has me covered. And it struck me that God is changing me. What the enemy might have used as a source of bitterness in the past, God actually used for an opportunity for me to testify about his awesome provision in my life. So there are some things that I want you to remember. The choices we make matter. How we run the race impacts the choices that we make. I've learned that there is space for grace in the workplace and that there's joy in God's unexpected detours. And even if we can't see the outcome, we can run the race optimistically knowing that God is transforming us along the way. Go out and run the race to win the prize.